Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Uniquely Better Life podcast. Uh, I am your host, Chase Cotton, the community director at the Willow Center here in Brownsburg, Indiana. This is episode six, and I have my good friend Diane with us to share her story. Uh, But like we always do, it's our tradition to start with a recovery tip or mental health tip of some sort. And this month's tip is to get outside because... It's almost the season where seasonal affective disorder starts to set in for a lot of us. We end up staying indoors a lot more often when it's cold or rainy, and we don't get enough vitamin D. And a lack of vitamin D or vitamin D deficiency is one of the initial predictors for those feelings of fatigue and those feelings of sadness and sometimes depression if it gets more severe during those cold indoor winter months. So bundle up, get outside, get some vitamin D, and I can guarantee it's going to help you feel a lot better. I'm going to play some intro music and then we'll dive in. Welcome, everyone. Episode six for season one of the Uniquely Better Life podcast. My friend Diane is here. Hello, Diane. Thank you for being here. Well, thank you, Chase, and thank you, the Willow Center, for having me here today. Oh, absolutely. It is our genuine pleasure. So uh, for those who don't know, uh, Diane is uh, a colleague and a partner of the Willow Centers, and she has a really beautiful story of hope and recovery that she's going to share about herself and her family. And then she also is involved with a fantastic uh, support group network for parents and loved ones who have a family member or friend who is struggling with addiction. And she's going to talk more about that in the second half of this episode. So without further ado, Diane, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and uh, dive into a little bit of your story? Absolutely. Hi, everyone. My name is Diane Buxton. I am a mom of a son who um, is celebrating nine years last week of long-term recovery from heroin. So great. Nine years. It is. It is. But I also, during, we lived with it for eight years, and I did not understand substance use disorder. Mm -hmm. I was one of those that thought, this is a choice. Why can't he just quit? Yeah. So um, I'll get into that later. But I'm also, like I said, I'm a mom of a son um, with substance use disorder. I am also a facilitator for PAL, Parents of Addicted Loved Ones in um, Avon. Um, I'm also a regional coordinator for uh, PAL. And I'm also a past board member of PAL. And uh, Any more also's? You do a lot. I don't know. You know, you know, when you have this passion, um, there's there's nothing you wouldn't do to to help others once you've gone through that journey. So. um, So, yeah, my journey, um, my family's journey started in, um, let's see, eight years almost in. Well, see, eight. So eight years of 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 my son's substance use disorder and our family at that time thought. Um, we could change him. Mm-hmm. Um, we could rescue him. We could help him. And I even, you know, Chase, I even sat in my church for those eight years, and no one, even my pastor, never talked about addiction. Right. So I thought, you know, I must be doing something wrong. Mm. It's it's my fault. And I was depressed. I was angry. I I. Um, it even wore on me physically yeah. Um, because I kept wanting and trying to change him. 
So we went through it for eight years, and at the eighth rehab that he finally um, decided that this was the turnaround, Mm -hmm. that's when he found recovery. But every rehab that he went to, I think, you know, when I look back on it, I always thought, this is it. He goes to rehab, we're done. No right. more. We're done. Okay. He's he's cured. He's fixed. Sure. And uh, But that's because I wasn't educated about this disease. So through those seven and eight years, um, t- financially, I won't even tell you how much money that our family spent on, yeah. on counseling, on... Um, the rehabs on IOPs, you know, because mom and dad are going to fix this. Right. And treatment's not free, unfortunately. No, it's not. No, it's not. Uh, And thank goodness, you know, he was under 27 at that time, so my insurance Mm -hmm. did pay for it. So that was nice. Right. But the whole journey, I would never want anyone to go through that because, you know, I think it's just like what my friend Cindy says. We're parallel to our loved ones. Mm-hmm. You know, um, they become addicted to their drug of choice and we become addicted to them. Mm-hmm. And we just want to keep having, being that and that underneath them, trying to fix them. Because that's what moms do. It's counterintuitive because as a mom and a dad, right. that's what you do. I mean, if I have two beautiful sons and if my one that doesn't have the disease would come to me and say, hey, mom, you know, I need help on financially maybe. Right. I'd be more t- in tune to give it to them. But when you put the disease of addiction in the middle of it, it changes everything. Yeah, it does. It changes everything. So when my f- my son finally went to the last the last rehab, I um, at my church, I was talking to a friend of mine, mm-hmm. Jeanette, and I had only opened up to her. I didn't open up to anyone else because of that stigma, because right. of that shame, because I thought, you know, I'm doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. And also the stigma stopped me from telling anybody because what are they going to think of my family? Right. And my son, quote, chose to do this. And we put that morality on it that Uh, isn't actually real. Yes, yes. So I opened up to her, and then she opened up to me Hmm. and said, yes, I'm going through something similar. Hmm. So I started Googling different different support groups. And I did go to a couple support groups um, when my son was going through this, but they disbanded because... Everybody stopped going. Yeah. And I had nowhere to go. So so once we started Googling and finding out about different support groups, that's when I found PAL, Parents mm-hmm. of Addicted Loved Ones. But I just, I'm hoping that someone that is listening right now, a parent, a grandparent, a sister, a brother, yeah, please don't go through this alone. Yeah. This journey is so hard. And in our group, we hear a lot, I wish I would have found this sooner. Right. I wish I knew, uh, was educated. Because like me, a lot of people think it is a choice. Mm -hmm. It's not a choice. So, and a lot of us parents, again, go back to that, you know, because when when my son was going through this, I learned a lot about delayed emotional growth is one of our our, our, um, educational topics. I learned that... Even though he was 21, he was acting like a 14-year-old. Mm-hmm. So thus, I treated him like a 14-year-old. I didn't treat him as the adult that he is. Right, and that's I, one of those symptoms of addiction that people don't realize is a symptom. 
Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, I didn't realize that I should have set boundaries. I should, I, you know, I didn't realize that screaming and yelling isn't going to fix it. Right. You know, it's, it's in, and I, I didn't realize that I had to love him in a different way. Mm-hmm. You know, not, it's not the same as my, my, my other son that doesn't have the disease. It's a little bit different. I, and you know, like we always say in our group, um, when you talk to your loved one, no matter what, no matter if you're in an argument, you always say you love them. Right. Never forget to tell them that. So um, my journey, I, and I know I'm not alone, and there's there's so many families out there that are going through this right now. Right. And I just want them to know that there is hope and there is support. And um, I would like to say right now, today is a good day. My son uh, just bought his first house. That's amazing. I know. I know I'm so excited and he has his own subcontracting business mm-hmm. and he um, he has helped a lot of others absolutely through this journey and um, we as parents grandparents brothers and sisters will never understand what they're going through as they won't understand what we're going through exactly so that's why pal is so important that's why we're here to support and give hope I love that thank you Diane you mentioned uh, a few moments ago that part of this disease being familial is that those who love the person who's addicted oftentimes get addicted to them. What did you mean by that? Can you clarify that a little more for oh, us? Oh, absolutely. We become addicted. Like I'm ad- I feel like I'm addicted to chocolate. <laughs> 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 so, so, you know, it's like if, if, you know, it's like, I know that I could probably go without chocolate, but anyhow, that's not a good analogy, but, but there's no other love than a parent for its child. Mm -hmm. And no matter when they're 50 or 60, I'm sure there's no love like that. So I, as a parent, you know, when, when my son was growing up, I took care of him. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I, um, you know, I could, I would do anything for him, and as that as we all now would do anything for our children. Right. But I became addicted to him. Like no matter what, I'm going to save him. And you know, and I'll tell you, I mean, for for those seven years, it was like clockwork. Hmm. Two o'clock in the morning, and it was two o'clock in the morning. I'd wake up, and I would turn on my light open up the Bible, asking God to give me the words of Solomon. From there, I'd go to my knees, and then from there, I'd prostrate on the floor. God, save my son. Yeah. Because you're just consumed. You can't think straight. Job, my job, I mean, it was on the back burner. Right. All I could think about was my son, and how am I going to save him? Right. You know, so that's what I meant about being addicted to him. My All of my thoughts were about him. And the sad thing is, is that, that at least for me, and I hear it from a lot of other parents, if you have other children, if you don't know any better, you put your other children on the back burner. Mm-hmm. Because right now, you're focused on your son or daughter. Who's because sick? You're going to save them. Right. You're going to save them. And ultimately, do you, do you think that, that being in that state as a parent, is that healthy? No. No, it's not. It's not healthy. It's not healthy for you. And we use the analogy, which everybody knows this analogy about, you know, the mass, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when you're when you're in it, when you're traveling and you're on a plane, 
and the steward or the stewardess says, you know, to put on the oxygen mask. Who's the first one they say to put it on? It's you. Mm-hmm. Because without mm-hmm. air, you can't help anybody else. Right. So while we're going through this, you know, we're, we're just as sick because we're so focused on them. We're not taking care of ourselves. We're not taking care of our family. Um, so we become overwhelmed and consumed with nothing but the thought of helping and saving our loved one. Yeah. That's so important, a realization, and, and I appreciate your wisdom, Diane. Because I think, you know, as a recent new parent myself, like I imagine going through something like this with, with my baby girl and, and you know, the pain, I'm, it, it, it's unbearable, it's unimaginable. Um, and, I, and I can't imagine those who are trying to bear that pain with, with a, a sick loved one at the same rate, right? That, that impetus, that, um, that essence of parental love, I don't think that's the problem. I think it's the way in which we in, uh, ignorantly, if I might say, express it. Because then that parental love becomes a form of enabling. So can you talk to us a little bit about what enabling means oh for the parents gosh. who might not know, who might be listening? Well, enabling is my definition, and I, in, in our power definition, is doing something for someone that they can do for themselves. Hmm. So Say that one more time, but slower. Okay. Enabling is doing something for someone that they can do for themselves. So when we as parents see our loved one in the midst of substance use disorder, what, we've, what we have learned is that that delayed emotional growth, that when my son started using at 14, so now he is 18. I've been fired by the government. I'm no longer in charge, mm-hmm. okay? Now, I am, even though he's 18, 19, 20, 30, 40, he is still acting like that Mm 14-year-old. So thus, I'm treating him that way. Right. So what I do in treating him that way is I give him the money that he asked for if he tells me that, you know, I need money for gas, which... I found out later that money for gas, which he said he was getting money for gas to go look for a job, was going to his dealer's house. Right. Um, I, you know, he ended up being homeless mm-hmm. on the streets. And that's, that's an, every time that phone rang, you thought for sure that was the phone call. Right. It's every parent's worst nightmare. It is the worst nightmare. And, not, and we all still think of that. And we all think of, we plan their funeral. Right because we know how terrible this disease is. So the enabling piece is continuously doing things for them that they can do for themselves. And one of the educational topics teaches that in PAL. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when now, like if, if my son, right now, if my son was homeless and he'd call and say, I'm really hungry, I would say, honey, I love you. I'm so sorry. So what are you going to do about that? Yeah. You know, um, and and knowing what I know, especially in Indianapolis, there's a lot of organizations down there that can help to feed him. Sure. Um, and it's hard. And a lot of times when we say that, we don't want to say that. It feels counterintuitive. Oh, oh does it ever? It really does because... Again, going back to that's what a, quote, mom and dad is supposed to do, Mm -hmm. you know, to take care of our loved ones. So enabling um, 
is such a big piece of this. And with PAL, we talk about baby steps. You don't go from basic math or trigonometry overnight. Right. This is incremental learning, all this education that you're going to learn at the PAL meeting. And um, enabling is a big piece of it. Mm-hmm. And then the part that, too, that we want to believe what they say. Right. We want to believe that, you know, um, like I said, the gas piece. And my you know? baby girl or my baby boy would never lie to me. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And that's so hard. And then, you know, it's like, um, like when we, when what we've learned too is that, and I, I know this for a fact because my son did tell me this, because a lot of times I would be not yelling at him, but I was telling him th- something, and he'd be shaking his head yes, like he was agreeing with me, but it was Charlie Brown, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. That's what he heard. You right. know, he was just agreeing with me so he could stay at home, Sure. <laughs> you know, so, um, yes, that enabling piece is huge, but again, it's baby steps, right? We can't do it overnight. So true. Thank you for sharing that wisdom as well. Why don't you tell us a little more about parents of addicted loved ones, about its structure, its history, whatever you want to share. Yes, 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 yes. PAL is a faith-based, evidence-based, peer-to-peer support group. And in order to attend, you have to be 18 and over. And we focus on education and support. Um, <clears throat> the founder, um, Mike Speakman, is out of Phoenix, Arizona. He's an LISAC. And he founded PAL in 2006. And I'm happy to say that the Avon group here in Hendricks County was the first group to start out of the state of um, Arizona in 2012. And then in 2015, PAL became a nonprofit. Um, right now, we have 154 meetings in 37 states. And here in Indiana, we have 17 active meetings. That's incredible. It is incredible. And if you're interested in finding out a meeting near near you, just go to palgroup.org and hit on hit click on find a meeting. Uh, we also have uh, telephone meetings weekly. So on our website, you can also find that out when when those telephone meetings are. Uh, we have uh, volunteers, and I just want to talk a little bit about our volunteers. Sure. Our volunteer facilitators are amazing. In order to be a volunteer facilitator, you have to be a parent of someone that has substance use disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why it's a peer-to-peer support group because we want. Um, everyone to understand everyone understands what everyone's going to going mm-hmm. through but we also highly highly suggest getting professional counseling like here at the willow center yeah um that is so important you need both and the reason you need both is because another piece is we're grieving mm. we're grieving that child that we know is in there and so we need help with that too that's so huge right i feel oh. like so many parents and loved ones don't understand that Mm. the treatment is not just for their loved one who's struggling. (laughs) Like we have to get help for ourselves. And that absolutely does include professional counseling or therapy. Um, You know, not, not to downplay the, you know, the evidence basis or the supportiveness of, of a group like PAL, but it's gotta be both. Oh, it does. And I hear parents say that I hear parents in our group say that, you know, they have gotten better. They've gotten healthier mm-hmm. because of coming to PAL and because of getting professional counseling. Right. And that is so important. I, I can't stress that enough. Um, but we do have also uh, 
different lessons, our educational topics. Okay. Um, some of them are delayed emotional growth, boundaries, role of the family, financial strings. Mm. We have guest speakers, which Willow Center has been there. To yes, be absolutely. Our guest speakers. Uh, and one of the huge things that we do not give advice that's where you all come in. You give the advice. The only thing we as parents, as grandparents and brothers and sisters who come to the meetings, we give suggestions. Hmm. And uh, now sometimes we get, you know, those who have been coming for a while get really excited and they won't say, do you want a suggestion? They'll just right away say, well, you know what? You know, so right. we kind of have to say, now that is a suggestion. That is a suggestion. And what I love about POW too is that, again, the baby steps. And again, you take what works and leave the rest. Hmm. And we're going to support you no matter what. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I we, we've been doing this for nine years now. Yeah. How many times that that parents because they feel so strong with the support of the group, I'm going to take a baby step and maybe I'm I'm not I'm not going to answer the phone for an hour. Yeah. They call they're calling like ten times an hour. I'm not going to answer the phone for an hour. That and is a boundary. That is a boundary. Yeah. We applaud them. We applaud them. And they'll come back and they'll they'll say, I couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. And you know what? We applaud them. Because you know why? They thought of it doing it. Right. That's the key. They thought That's of doing it. It's mental progress that. in the right direction. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, pal, pal, our mission is to provide hope through education and support to anyone who has a loved one suffering, suffering from substance use disorder. And there is hope. You're not alone. Mm -hmm. And I just want to express to those out there, those families that are going through this right now, you don't have to do this alone. Yeah, It's a horrible, painful, painful journey. And there are people out there to support you. And, you know, of course, we want you to come to PAL. But if not PAL, get support somewhere. Yeah. Don't do this alone and get counseling. And with the two, I promise you, you are going to feel better and you're going to feel hope and support. That's awesome. I think that's about as good a note of any to end on. Um, there's hope. You're not alone. Uh, whether you're a parent or whether you're a brother or sister or even a, a partner or a best friend, if you have a loved one who's struggling with addiction, please consider getting counseling for yourself and please consider reaching out and plugging in with uh, parents of addicted loved ones support groups. They're nationwide. 37 states, you said, yes, Diane? Yes. 37 mm -hmm. states. That's that's over half. <laughs> that's, yeah, we're that's getting the there. majority. <laughs> yeah. There's going to be one in all 50 if Diane's <laughs> yep. in charge. <laughs> Thanks. Um, thank you so much for spending time with us, sharing your story and sharing your passion with us, Diane. We are... Uh, not only immensely grateful, but immensely blessed to have you here in the central Indiana community. And I know pal is blessed to have you nationwide for those who don't know, um, because of the hard work Diane has done, uh, back in 2020, she was named the Hendricks County recovery advocate of the year. Um, and I think even that award is still a tremendous understatement. So thank you for being here. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you, Chase. We love you, Diane. Love you guys. So that has been episode six of the Uniquely Better Life podcast. Uh, we have five other episodes from folks in recovery themselves sharing their stories of hope and recovery. 
and we'll have one more episode for season one um, next month where we're, we're going to interview another person in long-term recovery who is involved with the local recovery community and is helping run a sober living home here in Henders County. So we hope you'll tune in for that one. I've been your host. My name is Chase Cotton here at the Willow Center. We'll see you next time.